what Charlie said in the announcements. We're going to be taking up a love offering on June the 9th, that Sunday, June 9th. And that love offering is going to go towards uh, a lot of our summer outreach events that we're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to be doing some things at Hyde Park that you guys are going to be hearing about here in the next week or so. Uh, we're going to be doing a block party there, and then we're going to be doing some fun Fridays in July there. And uh, so that, a lot of that outreach, is, uh, a lot of that money is going to go towards the outreach as well as some of the things that the kids will be doing this summer. And so uh, June 9th is going to be that love offering. And I love when Charlie said, uh, the duck eggs are out here. Cole Hester was like, duck eggs? So I know where Cole Hester is going to go after service. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Well, again, welcome you guys to Chester Christian Church. First Kings, if you don't know where First Kings is at, it's in your Bible. And uh, I would, uh, normally I would go through the books of the Bible like I've done in the past, but every time I do that, I always seem to fumble them up. And, uh, and it makes me look like I don't know the books of the Bible. And so I'm not going to do that. So First Kings is in the Old Testament, and uh, it's right before Chronicles. Actually, it's right before Second Kings. See, y'all thought y'all got me on that. I, I caught myself on that one. But uh, First Kings, but before I do that, you know, it's, uh, as Charlie said, you know, this, this past week, this, this, uh, this sermon, when God seems absent, uh, I really, as I study through the text and as I study through Scripture, and uh, it's really challenging to me as well. And, uh, you know, I think about, you know, this past week and the events that happened in, 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 uh, across the, uh, our nation here, Oklahoma, and, and the tornadoes that they, they experienced. I mean, can you imagine uh, just one day you have a roof over your head, um, and the, the, the very next day it's just all demolished. I mean, school, I mean, you saw the pictures of that. And it's just, uh, it's amazing to me. And I know that uh, each, each person here, uh, has struggles. I know that uh, we're going through situations in our life. And, and that's one thing that I think all of us have in common as Christians is I think we've all experienced times in our life where we have just felt like that God was inattentive or uncooperative or just plain absent. You know, and so I just want to ask this morning, if you have ever felt like that, if you've ever felt like that God was inattentive or you just felt like that God was just absent and you've ever asked a question, God, where are you? I just want you to raise your hand this morning. If you've ever asked that question or if you've ever felt like that, get them up high. I want to see them. All right, keep them up there for a second. Now, I want you to look around. All right? See, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. We all, all experience that. And whenever circumstances in our lives arise that challenges our faith, we oftentimes question whether or not God is, is really paying attention. And what makes this more difficult is when you feel like you're the only one. And it doesn't help that whenever you are uh, surrounded by people, uh, whether it be church people or your friends or whatever, and they're trying to give you good advice, you know, they're trying to give you good counsel, and, and you're going through this circumstance in your life, and you're struggling, and they're like, you know what, man, you just need to pray more, you know, or you just, you just need to have bigger faith, have more faith. Or they'll say, you just get rid of sin in your life, that's what it is, you got sin in your life, just get rid of that. And, and, and or you must have done something to make God mad, you know, or something. And those things don't help. Or, or maybe you see the other people around you, people that you're, you're neighbors, and, and you see that uh, things just seem to work out for them. They, they seem to have a worry-free life. Uh, they have a job. They have health insurance. Their, their kids got into the school that they wanted to get into. And in fact, their kids behave, and you look at these people, and everything just seems to work out for them. 
They're not even good people. They're not even, they're not even church-going people. You know, they play golf on Sunday mornings, or they go fishing, and, and uh, they just, they have a smooth, wrinkle-free life. And, and here we are, we're trying to serve God, we're trying to be obedient, and we're trying to, to do the right things, you know, and it seems like that sometimes God is absent, and it's frustrating. And it just makes it glaringly obvious that God is not paying attention to us, or we feel like that God is not attentive to our needs. And so the question we want to answer this morning is, how can we maintain our faith when God seems absent in our life? And when the script of your life uh, doesn't play out like you planned, when, when life throws you a curveball, how can we remain firm in our faith? And see, many of us in this room, man, we've, we've had a rough week. We've had a rough month. We've had a rough year. Uh, we've had a rough season of life. And uh, maybe you've lost somebody that's close to you recently, a loved one. Uh, maybe it's a marriage, you're struggling in your marriage, you thought things were going well, and just out of the blue somewhere your spouse is like, you know what, I'm not happy, and I want out of this marriage. And you're left wondering why. Or maybe it's a child, maybe it's a relationship with a child that, man, you thought everything was going well, and then all of a sudden they come up, and, and, and you start to notice, man, they're just rebelling against you, and, and you have this wayward child, and you're struggling to figure out what's going on here. And it's tough. The reality is, is that after a while, our faith can wear down. It it's, it's, can erode. And we feel that God is not answering or that he's just not engaging in our circumstances. And he's not doing what I need him to do. And he seems absent. So we ask, where are you, God? And there goes our faith, and there goes our confidence, and there goes our hope. But I, I want you to leave encouraged today. I want you to leave from this place encouraged. And, and honestly, we could literally take uh, any character from the Bible, any character whatsoever, and see seasons in their life when they felt like that God was absent. And I think this is good. And, and I want to encourage you guys to really read your Bibles because I think sometimes we can look at these characters in the Bible. We can look at, you know, the Pauls and the Peters and, and all these people, and we can think, man, they had such big faith. And we think, man, we just we can't relate to that. But I want you to understand that they all had seasons in their life. I mean, going all the way back to Abraham and Moses and King David, they all had seasons in their life when God felt like he was absent. And God knew their names, and he knew everything about them. And yet at different stages of their lives, they asked the same question, where are you, God? Now, I've got to be honest with you this morning. There's no secret formula, okay? I don't have uh, pixie fairy dust in my pocket that I can just sprinkle out on everybody, and, and it's going to fix everything in your life, and, and everything is going to be fine. But, but rather it's the confidence in knowing that we can walk through the desert, that we can walk through those difficult seasons of life when we feel like that God is distant and we know with confidence that God is still there, that God is faithful, that he's always there. And so today I want us to focus on an Old Testament prophet named Elijah. And if you didn't grow up in a church, you may not be familiar with Elijah. You may not know who Elijah is. And if you did grow up in a church, you still may not know who Elijah is. I don't know. But Elijah did some pretty amazing things. You may remember, too, that Elijah gets a cameo appearance in the New Testament uh, with Jesus and Moses. Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration and, uh, with a couple of his disciples, and then out of nowhere appears Moses and Elijah. Okay? Uh, Mo, uh, Elijah is also mentioned in the last book of the Old Testament, the Italian prophet uh, Malachi. And uh, so he gets mentioned there. 
But the main reason why I chose Elijah today was because of what James says about Elijah in James chapter 5, 17. James is a New Testament book, half-brother of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. That's important for us to remember today because we're going to be reading some things about Elijah, and you're going to think this dude was off the chain. Hey, this dude was off the hook. And, and you're going to be like, man, this, this is crazy. I can't, uh, I can't relate to this. But I want you to understand that, that James says Elijah was a man just like this. He prayed, for, for three, he prayed that the rain would stop for three and a half years, and God answered that prayer. Now, that's faith. And God still does it. I know sometimes we, we struggle with this, don't we? Sometimes, man, we're praying and we're thinking, God, I, I do this, man. Sometimes I, I have recently just struggled, man. I, 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 we, we pray every week and we pray over y'all's prayer requests. And sometimes I think, God, I just want to see you do something. I want to see you move. I want to see you answer this prayer. And sometimes I'm, I mean, sometimes I have these thoughts. I want you to know I wrestle with these thoughts, too. Okay? So I want to be encouraged today as well. You know, sometimes I think, God, why aren't you answering our prayer? Why aren't you listening? And so I want you to know that, uh, that Elijah, man, he goes through all these things and and that God still uses people, ordinary people like you and I, to do great things. And so our story begins in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. And I want to read you this very first verse here. And then I want to give you a little bit of background about what's going on, okay? So in 1 Kings 16, 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. King of Judah. Before we go any further, I want to give you a little backstory about what's going on here in the nation of Israel. Because you see, Israel hadn't always been ruled by a king. As a matter of fact, God's desire for the nation of Israel was that he alone would be their king. God's desire was that the nation of Israel would follow him and that he would rule over his people. Alright? But Moses, who led Israel out of Egyptian slavery, actually stands before God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 and 15... And he tells them, he says, guys, there's going to come a day, like nation of Israel, there's going to come a day when you will no longer be content with God's rule over you. As a matter of fact, there's going to come a day where you're going to ask for a king. And I guarantee you that the people of that day were like, Moses, you are crazy. There's no way, man. We want God to rule over us, right? But Moses said there's going to come a day. Well, guess what? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, the people of Israel come to Samuel and they ask him to appoint a king over them. And the very next verse says that this displeased Samuel. But God reassured Samuel, said, hey, look, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. In fact, they're rejecting me, God, as their king. The Bible says they asked for a human king because they wanted to be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And that amazes me, right? Because you read through the book of Joshua and Judges, and who fought the battles for Israel? God did, right? God said, I will go out before you, and I will take care of this nation, and I will fight with you. And yet, they wanted to be like other nations who had kings, human kings. That just amazes me, right? And sometimes we're we're like that. So that's, uh, that's what we see. So Israel had forgotten those days. They were conforming to the ways of the pagan societies around them. And so they appoint a king, and a few kings later, now this is the thing. A few kings later, you have King Saul was the first king. Anybody know who the second king was? King David. King David. So a few kings later, including King David, after some adultery, after some family feuding, after some family backstabbing, 
after some family deceit. I'm, t- I'm telling you, if you think your family is jacked up and dysfunctional, all you got to do is go and look at King David's family, and you'll see a family that's more jacked up and dysfunctional than yours, I promise. Uh, and then you come to King Solomon, who was one of King David's sons, all right? And King Solomon, poor King Solomon, he had 700 wives and then 300 extra women on the side. I mean, come on, guys, that is crazy, right? Can you imagine that? 700 wives and 300 extra women on the side. Needless to say, things did not go well for King Solomon. So because of sin, because of idolatry, this led to the kingdom of Israel being divided into what is known as the northern kingdom, which is Israel, which consisted of ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, known as Judah, which consisted of two tribes. And all this happened in about 930 B.C. I'm telling you, the Bible is better than any soap opera you could ever watch. One of, my, one of my dirty little secrets is when I was a senior in high school, I would come home from school, and I would watch Days of Our Lives. Anybody watch Days of Our Lives? I, I, I happened to watch, a, 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 I forget what, it, was, it hasn't been that long ago, but I remember, it was like a couple weeks ago, and, and Robin and I were sitting there, and Days of Our Lives came on. I was like, I can't believe some of the same people, like 20 years ago, are still on. I'm like, they need to just retire and get off the show. But uh, I used to come home and watch Beverly Hills 90210. Anybody used to watch that? Oh, yeah, that was my favorite. I love that show. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible is better than any soap opera. Okay? Better than any soap You know, TNT thinks they know drama. They don't have anything on the Bible, I'm telling you. All right? So I say that to say this. Read your Bibles because you'll love it. You'll love it. And so the Bible records that king after king after king continue to lead God's people further and further and further away from God. And so roughly 60, 70 years later, in around 860 B.C., we come to 1 1629, the verse we just read, and this is what it says. In the 38th century, Judah, southern kingdom, son of Omri, became king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Now, verse 30 is key. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, the reason King Ahab did more evil was because of who he was married to. I'm going to tell you guys something, man. His wife was one of the most despised, ruthless, dreaded women in the Bible. Man, she makes your mother-in-law look like a saint. Okay, I'm telling you, this woman was, this woman was, Shannon Price, this woman was one bad mamma jamma, okay? She knows what a mamma jamma is. If you guys want to know what a mamma jamma is, email me and I'll let you know. But this woman was one bad mamma jamma. Her name was Jezebel. Jezebel's evil reputation was so notorious that Jesus himself used her name many years later in, in the letter to the Thyatira church in Revelation. It says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess because of her teachings, it misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I'm going to tell you something. There's not too many mamas and daddies naming their daughters Jezebel these days, right? You know, you open up the, the baby book to the most popular names, you're not going to see Jezebel in there. You know, I mean, even the name Jezebel, it doesn't even sound good, does it? It doesn't even sound good to me. But she was the princess of Phoenicia, and she was the power behind Ahab's throne. She wore the pants in that relationship. Because of Jezebel, Ahab, king, allowed temples of Baal, which are foreign gods of Phoenicia, to operate in Israel. Actually had them setting up in the temple. She even erected Asherah pole, which is another form of idolatry. Jezebel had 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah. She was one mean lady. 
Verse 33 says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. That's not something that you want to be noted for in the, in the Bible, is it? And so this is the backdrop in which Elijah shows up on the scene. Elijah appears out of nowhere. He, 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 he comes in with, without genealogy, without historical background, and without warning. He's simply identified in, in 1 Kings 17.1 as Elijah the Tishbite from Tish in Gilead. I'm sure there's times that Elijah thought to myself, man, I was just born in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, why do I have to face Ahab and Jezebel? But Elijah's life covers a very brief portion of the pages in the Bible, but his impact is huge. And I want you to see today is that the faith that Elijah had, and yet we find Elijah asking the same questions we often find ourselves asking, and that is, where are you, God? And so we begin today, 1 Kings 17.1. I'm just going to kind of walk through uh, a couple chapters here, and you guys can follow along as I make some points. But 1 Kings 17.1, we see Elijah boldly and courageously walking up to Ahab, and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. This was significant. This was huge. Because what he was doing is he was calling out the gods of Baal. See, people believed that, that Baal controlled the rain and believed that because of rain, then you'd have bountiful crops. And so if it doesn't rain for three years, then it's exposing Baal for the false god that he is. Now, what's crazy about this is that God faithfully and miraculously takes care of Elijah by feeding him through the ravens. And uh, there's a brook called Kareth that ran through there, and uh, God allowed him to drink from that brook, brook, brook Kareth. Now, one of my favorite stories uh, growing up, we, we, acted this, we actually acted this uh, story out when I was in middle school. Our uh, youth group did this, this story here, and I played Elijah. And the way our church was set up back home is you had the stage up front and then you had the baptistry was kind of in the center of the, the stage, and then it was kind of closed in with walls, and it was just a little spot. Well, my friend was in the back, okay, behind that baptistry area, and I was playing Elijah, and so we get to this point where it says that God fed Elijah by the ravens, and then out of nowhere, my friend goes, cool, cool, and from behind the baptistry, you see this big piece of bread that comes out on the stage, and just everybody started laughing. It was so funny. Oh, that was one of my favorite memories. But can you imagine uh, the faith that Elijah had to have? You know, day after day, you know that it's not raining, drought is happening, and this brook that God is helping Elijah to drink from is drying up every single day. And Elijah sees this happening. And so he's thinking to himself, okay, this brook keeps drying up, something's happening here. And then also, what's, what I find uh, kind of funny is that God uses ravens to feed Elijah. Now, if you're not familiar with Old Testament law, ravens were unclean birds. And yet God uses an unclean bird to feed Elijah. So next, God sends Elijah. The brook dries up. Elijah, God provides for Elijah and sends him to a pagan territory called Zarephath where he commands him to stay with a widow and her son who were also foreigners. Now, we're not told how long Elijah stayed, but while he was there, God gave her an endless supply of flour and oil. I bet that woman thought for herself, man, I hit a jackpot. Yeah, I got, we're in this drought, and, and God is, is showing his grace and mercy. I hit the jackpot. Verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 13, Elijah says, Don't be afraid. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. I mean, can you imagine each morning the widow goes in there and she pours out her oil and her flour? She's thinking, this is not enough for tomorrow. But then she comes back to the cupboard the next day and it's full again. I mean, that, that would have just been so amazing right there. And so God continues to provide. But it's during Elijah's stay with this widow that we kind of get a glimpse in the kink of his armor. We get to see his first wavering of faith because you see, while he's staying there, the widow's son dies. And this is what he says in verse 19. He says, Elijah took the boy and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? What's up with that? And the Bible says that Elijah stretched himself out over the boy three times and he prayed and God heard his cry. And the first time recorded in scripture, God raises somebody from the dead. That's amazing, isn't it? That's just amazing. And so after more than three years of God watching over Elijah and providing for him through drought and famine, God tells him to return to Ahab and announce the end of the drought. Apparently this conversation got he and Ahab and Elijah exchanged some words. And not just any words, but they were fighting words, okay? I don't know if you guys in school, man, anytime somebody says something about your mama, those were fighting words, right? So I don't know, they're exchanging some words, and maybe Elijah says something about Ahab's mama, and he was like, okay, those are fighting words. But anyways, Ahab, Elijah lays down a gauntlet, and in chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? In other words, stop riding the fence. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And so now we get to the main event on Mount Carmel. It's a pay-per-view event, and everyone is buying a ticket for the show. The people of Israel come out, man, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Asherah. Two altars are built, one for Baal, one for God. Wood is laid on the altars along with two slaughtered bulls. Elijah, being the gentleman he is, allows the prophets of Baal to go first. And he instructs them. He says, I want you to pray for fire to light the sacrifice. Well, they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they keep praying, but nothing happens. He says, all right, guys, get out of the way. Let me, let me have a shot. It's my turn. So he orders the altar of God to be drenched with water from four large jars. Now, my question is, it's been a drought for three and a half years. Where did they get the water from, right? It's like, where in the world did they get the water? Anyways, they got this water, and they pour it all over the altar of God. So they drench it. And then Elijah pr- prays. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also lifted up the water in the trench. Wow. Can you imagine that sight? This is one of the stories that I hope they have on DVD up in heaven because I would love to see it in person. Yeah, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? But all is well, right? I mean, the nation of Israel, along with King Ahab, will certainly turn from their sin, right? I mean, after seeing this miracle, this, this awesome display of wonder by God, surely this is going to turn uh, Ahab and Israel back to God. Everything that Elijah's been through the last three years, surely it's paid off, Right? I mean, God has been faithful through this whole process. 
But I want you to notice what happens next. We move probably from the most amazing chapters of faith in the Bible to chapter 19, and it says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel. Ahab goes back to Jezebel, says, look, man, this is what's been going on. Okay, Elijah just showed up, your prophets. As a matter of fact, after he showed them up, he had them all slaughtered and killed. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that of one of them. And it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What happened? Elijah's expressions of faith and supernatural victories in chapters 17 and 18 are followed by fear and discouragement in chapter 19. I don't know, maybe Elijah had gotten full of himself. Maybe he had gotten confident and thought, okay, surely, surely God's going to turn his people back to him. God, this wasn't the way the script was supposed to go. This isn't the ending that I had in mind. So Elijah's like, okay, God, where are you? Where did you go? You were with me. Where, 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 where did, you, did, did God leave the building or something? Elijah's discouraged and even asked God to take his life. He says, just go ahead and take my life now. He's down and out. His faith that seemed so unshakable has now been shaken. God, where are you? I just need something. I just need something. You ever find yourself asking that? I mean, I just need something. God, just give me something. Here's why this is important to us. It's interesting that whenever our circumstances take a certain turn for the worse, it often impacts our confidence in God. And none of us are immune to this. I mean, we all experience this. We, we all go through times like this in our life. We're like Elijah. I mean, right now things aren't so good. You've gone a long time without a job. Your, your bills are piling up and you're wondering how in the world you're going to make ends meet. The health insurance thing is beginning to take its toll You've got a wayward son or a daughter, and God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. Your marriage is struggling. And, I mean, you desire to have a Christian marriage, but your marriage is anything but Christian. Our faith is impacted by our circumstances. Or, or, or maybe you're not married. Maybe you're single and you're thinking, well, am I ever going to get married? You know, God, are you, are you hearing my prayer? It's as if God changes because our circumstances change. And when things are going well, man, God is faithful and good. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, God is good. But when things aren't going well, we tend to forget that God is still faithful and God is still good. As a matter of fact, we ask, God, where are you? You know, Elijah was afraid. And, and oftentimes in the midst of what we're going through, we have a hard time remembering God's faithfulness, don't we? You know, fear, fear, fear has a tendency to do that to us. See, Elijah, in a moment of fear, had forgotten what God had done. Let me explain it this way. You ever know, if you guys got kids, you know whenever a kid gets separated from their parents, maybe it's at a department store or wherever it may be, and that moment that kid realizes they're separated from their parents, what, what happens? They're gripped with fear, right? They're like, okay, they're looking around, they're scanning, well, where's mommy and daddy? Well, this actually happened to me in my house uh, a few weeks ago, Jude and I were, were at home by ourselves, and we were playing up in our bedroom, okay? 
And uh, we were just wrestling around. We were goofing off, having a good time. And we were standing in front of our bedroom dresser. Jude walks into our bedroom, and he disappears. While he's in our bedroom, I go over, and I get up on the bed, okay? And uh, so he walks out of the bathroom, back into the bedroom, and Daddy's not where he was when he left the the room. And I'm sitting there watching this unfold. Like, this two seconds happens. And I I see Jude, and he turns the corner out of the bathroom and and stands right there in front of the dresser, and he doesn't see Daddy. And all he gets this look like, where'd Daddy go? And he actually scans the room. I, I kid you not, he looks right at me and does not see me. And I, he's like starting to panic. I'm like, dude, I said, I'm right here, buddy. I'm right here on the bed. And then it's like it's just a relief over, overflows. You know, he's just, okay, I, I see you now. But I think that's what happens to us. You know, we, we kind of get overcome with fear. And it's like that becomes a magnet to our attention, our trouble, our becomes a magnet. It's like it becomes a it's all we can focus on is what we're going through. And so in a season of pain, in a season of turmoil, in a season of life that seems really difficult, we tend to shrink down to the size of me. You know what I mean? We tend to shrink down to the size of us. Our lives and our worldview shrinks down. It's like, it's like these prison walls are just closing in on us and we can't see past that. And so how would God respond to Elijah? In 1 Kings 19, uh, 5 through 9, I want to read this to you. First Kings 19, 5 through 9, God comes to Elijah and he says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. God doesn't come to Elijah and he doesn't say, Boy, get up, man. What's wrong with you? God doesn't. Man, where's your faith at now, Elijah? What are you doing? God, God doesn't scold him. God doesn't shame him. He doesn't preach a sermon on faith. He doesn't make Elijah feel guilty. But rather, God is gentle with him. He cares for him. And I want you to hear me. If you have anything else today, hear this. So many times we believe that our circumstances coincide with the way that God feels about us. Does that make sense? You don't know how many times I hear people say, man, I'm going through a rough time right now. God must be angry at me. God must be, what did I do, man? I must, I must have, they, they, they even say, I must have sin in my life. And so what we do is we take our circumstances and we, we believe that that coincides with the way that God feels about us. And I want you to know this morning, the proof of how God feels about us is not about what's going on at home. It's not about what's going on at work or not about what's going on at school. Proof of how God feels about you is what he did 2,000 years ago when he sent his son to die on the cross for you. He loves you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to comfort you. I want to remind you that Jesus was betrayed. He was lied about, mocked, beaten, and crucified. And God does nothing to stop it. I mean, one of the darkest days 
His own son is being crucified on a cross. And God doesn't move one inch off his throne. As a matter of fact, at the end of Jesus' life, he is actually in the garden praying, God, if it be your will, may this cup pass from me. And God says, no, no, it's a part of my plan. Mm. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating it. And people's lives continue to be transformed and changed by what seemed to be a situation where God was absent. This is what Elijah learned. This is what I think we can learn this. 1 Kings 19, 11-13 is, is, is a great passage for us to highlight in our Bibles. It says, the word of the Lord came to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. He says, I'm the only one left, which is not true, by the way. Not true that he was the only one left, but, but that's oftentimes what pain does, right? It makes us you know, think, okay, we're just, we exaggerate, you know? The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Man, that's just an awesome, awesome passage there. See, Elijah learned that God hadn't deserted him. Even though God wasn't in the fire or in the earthquake, he was in a gentle whisper. See, when God seemed absent, he was, he was there the whole time. Psalm 46.10 is a great passage to write down. In 46.10 it says, Be still and know that I am God. You know, I think sometimes we can try to be our own Savior, you know? We go through circumstances in our life and we try to fix it ourselves, or we think, man, God needs my help because he's not listening and he's not paying attention. And God says, you know what, I'm here. I'm here. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I'm either God or I'm not. Be still and know that I'm God. When we go through the seasons of life, we just need to to look back and reflect outside of our prison walls. And we need to rem- see, man, that God is still faithful. We go through seasons of life when God seems absent. I want to encourage you to, to lean into Christ, to lean in. God is leading into us. Man, we need to lean into Christ. God knows your circumstances. He knows your pain. He hasn't forgotten about you. And in those moments, I want to encourage you to be still and know that God is still God. So lean into Christ. I also want to encourage you during those times of your life, man, when you feel like that God is absent, I encourage people all the time, man, just open up the word of God. Read through the Psalms. David pours out his heart, and Psalm after Psalm after Psalm is about how David felt he was abandoned by God. And yet God is still there. God is faithful. And so read the word, man. Cling to God's promises in his word. He is faithful. 
He is faithful. And then I also want to encourage you to be a part of the community. Man, if you, if, you know, one of the things that Elijah did is he isolated himself. He went off to the cave by himself. Man, oftentimes that's what we do. When we, when we go through a circumstance, we want to isolate ourselves. We want to be away from people. Man, I want to encourage you to, to be a part of community, be a part of covenant community, be a part of a church, be a part of a small group. Man, let people walk alongside of you in the midst of your troubles. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus does. Jesus walks with us. Man, that's what we're called to do. If you're going through something, man, we need to walk together through that and be encouraged. I want us to do something a little different. Charlie and those guys are going to come, and, and we're going to sing a song. And I want to always, always invite people that if you've never, <clears throat> if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you've never made that decision uh, to do that, then we, we want to encourage you to, to do that at this time. You can come forward and you can talk to me and, and we can make that happen. But, but I want us to do, I'm going to ask Paul, one of our elders, to come forward. And, and I thought about this this past week. I thought, you know, I know, I'm not naive, I know that we've got people here that are just going through some situations, struggling, and they just need to feel God's presence in their life, and they need to be encouraged. And so I'm going to ask that, that during this time, during the song, if you want to come forward, and Paul, he's got uh, some uh, anointing oil up here, and if you just you feel like you need to be healed of something, or you want uh, prayer for something, or you just feel like that, man, something's just, you're just having a tough time. Man, I want you to come forward. Don't people around you. Come forward and, and let Paul pray for you. All right? If you, I can pray for you as well. I've got some, I got some oil up here too. All right? And we want to do that for you, okay? So during this next song, just encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. And, God, there's so many times in our lives where we uh, struggle with wondering whether or not you're, you're paying attention or, God, that you're, uh, you're even there. Father, I pray that you would just uh, help us to see past our prison walls. God, that we would just be reminded of your faithfulness and, God, that we, we would be reminded of your love for us. God, that we would... Uh, not walk through these times in our life alone, but that we would be in a relationship with other people to help us carry those burdens. So, Father, I pray this morning that if there's somebody here that, that needs to come forward and have prayer, that they would do that. Or if there's somebody here that needs to give their life to you for the first time, God, and surrender their, their lives to you, I pray that they would do that. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us?